0: Welcome to a special edition live football and other F-words. Not a lot to talk about today, Mike. Uh, It's going to be a pretty easy show. Don't really know why we went live. No big breaking news. You know, just the same old Tuesday. But we just like to go live. the Jags. Yeah, this is going to be completely Jag-centric. We're not going to talk about anything else other than our sponsors, Jaspers and Nashville. Two for one on Sundays. I'm sure that a recently fired GM is going to be looking for a place to uh, drink his sorrows away. Go to Jasper's. Maybe they're hiring for a general manager. I don't know. But Jasper's in Nashville is the place to work and the place to eat and drink. And let me tell you this. I know we have a lot of crossover from uh, University of Tennessee fans into the Tennessee Titans realm. And we're a Tennessee Titans-centric podcast. But let me give you UT fans a little tidbit. Jasper's. Is in a Clemson alumni watch party headquarters. UT plays Clemson in the Orange Bowl. Get your ass there and give them some shit. Clemson and, U- and Ohio State are two of my least favorite teams outside of the SEC. So I kind of, you know, I'll root for whatever team they're playing, even if it's SEC centric. So head down to Jasper's during the Orange Bowl, get you some great beer. They'll have the TV, the game on the big projection screen, probably on every TV in the, in the place. And they have tons. Tons of TVs. So head to Jasper's. Enjoy a nice cold beer. Send us a picture. Tag Jasper's. Jasper's Nashville West End. Oh, my gosh, Mike. I don't know where to start because we recorded a podcast no. yesterday. Full disclosure. We recorded a podcast yesterday. We both pretty much said because we were talking about all these, you know, crazy takes and all this stuff. And one of them, the one of the things that we talked about, though, was the job that John Robinson has done and the job that John Robinson can, should have the chance to do in the future. And we had talked about the fact that he built the offensive line to a great point once before. He let it get out of control, couldn't fill the holes as they were going, but he should get the chance to do it again. And then today I'm driving, going to look at a house. For those that don't know, I'm a real estate agent, and I was going out to ashland city over near kingston springs and area and look at uh, us yeah it's really nice area. it's my first time up there and um the newest development everything so zach lyons at kw.com if you want to email me or just reach out to me on twitter if you need a real estate agent in middle tennessee the titans fired general manager john robinson i almost ran off the road i called i texted you and then i called you because you didn't answer my text i said we're gonna have to re-record and we're going to do this slide because the official statement from Tennessee Titans, since becoming controlling owner in 2015, my goal has been to raise the standard for what is expected in all facets of our organization. I believe we have made significant progress both on and off the field through investments in leadership, personnel, and new ideas. This progress includes the core of our business, the football team itself, which is regularly evaluated both by results wins and losses, and team construction slash roster building. I'm proud of what we have accomplished in my eight seasons of ownership, but I believe there is more to be done and higher aspirations to be met. I want to thank John for his dedicated work to set this organization on an upward trajectory, and I wish him and his family the best. Amy Adam Strunk. I know I've talked a lot so far, Mike, and I haven't let you talk at all, but I'm going to get there. First, if you're watching and you're on YouTube, Facebook, I don't think Twitter has fixed a thing where you can comment on these videos. But we'll t- get your questions. We'll get to your comments if you want to drop them in. because it's is our first time doing it live. So get them in there. Put them in there in the comment section. The other thing is, Mike, we also talked yesterday about the ridiculous notion that Amy Adam Strunk is a woman and has no place in football, because that's what people said, and running a football team, and that she was the reason. That A.J. Brown could not get signed here because she is a broke-ass bitch, is what people would say. And we laughed at that notion. And now we laugh even more and even louder because Amy Adams Strunk is that owner. She knows what is to, what needs to happen to become a Super Bowl-winning team. John Robson did a great job turning this franchise around, but he has not done a great job maintaining the same trajectory in her opinion. What were your initial reactions?
1: I mean, I was I was shocked, first of all, and immediately sad for the, like, multiple hours worth of Titans content that you you and I, and, and I'd also worked on for PK this week, that was just thrown in the trash immediately. Um, but I was shocked because I, I did think, and you and I discussed this on the, the pod that now no one will ever hear, uh, <laughs> that... John Robinson had done a good job at fixing problems. When there were glaring problems, he generally was able to fix them. You know, you think about in 2016 when he took over, you know, he gets gets Ben Jones in, solidifies the offensive line, gets DeMarco Murray in. He made made a lot of good moves to really help that team uh, get off the mat. And then of course, the is the pass rush just disappeared and in, in the defense in 2020 slipped into Oblivion. Uh, you know, he turned around the next year and, and immediately fixed the pass rush. He immediately fixed the defense. I figured he'd get the opportunity to do that with this offense and particularly this offensive line, which is what we'd kind of talked about. But I guess, you know, that there must have been some loss of confidence over obviously the 2020 offseason was brutal, absolutely terrible. The draft, the free agent class, all of it, just absolute disaster outside of I guess Danico Autry would be the one the one thing that they got out of that uh that cycle that, that was any good. Or I guess that he was 2021, wasn't he? Um Yeah, well, yeah so they got nothing out of 2020 basically. But uh then you followed up with 2021, another bad offseason, another bad draft, and then you followed up with trading AJ Brown. And and look, like I don't think AJ that the AJ Brown trade is the only uh reason that that he is fired today but I certainly think it has a lot to do with it because it's hard for me to look at the timing of this firing it happening right after the Eagles game right after Amy Adams drunk and her family had to sit in an owner's box with drunk obnoxious horrendous Eagles fans cussing at her and yelling at her and you know making fun of them for trading AJ Brown uh, for three hours as her team was getting mopped on the on the field for you know 35-10 it's hard for me not to think that maybe that, you know, stuck stuck in her crawl a little bit more coming off of that game, coming off of that A.J. Brown performance with their offensive line continuing to look like a major issue that that John Robinson just did not do enough to address. And, and that, you know, ultimately was the spot where his biggest misses were, you know, Isaiah Wilson and Dylan Radins and and everything, you know, so. It's hard for me not to tie some of that back directly to the A.J. Brown thing, but I, I think you know we can go through the misses over the past, you know, especially two or three years. And it's not like he wasn't missing at all in 2016 and 2017, but there were more hits than misses during that that strategy. Well,
0: it, there's also the hits that you have you didn't keep. Like that, I think problem, that yeah. plays into it is that you could you could technically say he started making less than desirable decisions starting with letting Jack Conklin go and, and and granted it's it is the right tackle position but he has been scrambling ever since then to try to fill that right tackle position and it, surprisingly enough after he seemingly solves that issue he gets fired <laughs> with a and it's right here from I King Carnage there's a potential that Jay Rob has gone after drafting four quality starters this year too it yep. is wild and I agree I think it's a culmination of things right Because I think it's the culmination of never keeping your own players. Really, the bulk of your draft classes seem to go. And I think that you saw his inability to adapt in COVID. I wrote about this back on September 23rd of this year for broadwaysportsmedia.com. If you don't have an insider pass, get an insider. But it was in an article called How to Easily Avoid Dumbassery. And in the section, I talked about scout better, build better. And one of the things I thought this was shortly after John Robson made comments that he just didn't adjust and, and COVID really affected everybody, but it really affected them because he didn't really adapt to the situation. And that to me started throwing off red flags. Now this was this year, but that to me threw up a little bit of red flags because I went back and I looked at Buffalo, Baltimore, San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Kansas city, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, LA Rams. Okay. Generally, really good teams at drafting are generally teams that are considered the top of the class as far as who they are in the NFL. Now, obviously, the L.A. Rams had a had a rough go of it. And Pittsburgh is still struggling. But when you go back to the 2020 draft class, Buffalo has 6 of 7, 3 are starters. Baltimore, 9 of ten, five are starters. San Francisco, 5 of 5, 3 starters. Pittsburgh, 3 of 6, 3 starters. Kansas City, 5 of 6, 4 starters. Cincinnati, 7 of 7 three starters. Indianapolis, six of nine, four starters, and L.A. Rams, six of nine, three starters. Now, that, that six of nine and all those numbers, are, are they're on the roster. And you look at John Robinson, and it is one of six on the active roster, one starter and two guys that were cut and put on the practice squad, Larell Murchison and Chris Jackson. And then you take into the 2021 draft class, Caleb Farley, Dylan Raidens. Monty Rice, that's Fitzpatrick, Rashad Weaver, Racy McMath, Brady Breeze, and Elijah Molden. You got maybe two really good players out of that.
1: Mm, I'm I'm not sure I'd say any really good players. I'd say Weaver is at least decent depth at this point, but that's really all he's proven to me. And then Molden, I mean, we don't hard yeah. to say what Molden is right now. You know, I mean there's not a
0: lot of contributors, you know, consistent yeah. contributors on the team. And I go back to that Eagles game, right? That Eagles loss, and we'll talk a little bit about it, but if you really want some overarching thoughts on the Eagles loss, you can watch a football show or go get that on a podcast or with 440 Sports, or you can listen to the Hot Read podcast. Uh, Easton also broke down that game extensively. But you go and look at that game, right? Dylan Raidens was drafted, we thought, to be the left tackle of the future, or at least the right tackle, then maybe a left tackle or tackle anything. (laughs) And then who's getting beat every play? A guy that John Robson traded a fifth-round draft pick for in Dennis Daly. Instead of trying to stick with Dylan Radins or trying to get something out of him, he immediately trades a fifth-round pick. So that's a a second-and-a-fifth-round pick invested in the left tackle position that is a wash, okay? And then go look at what A.J. Brown did to us. Not only do you have the A.J. Brown trade that obviously pissed off Mike Frabel that I think I'll, i I know I kind of just was like, eh, it's, I think it's just a reaction. I think he's just sad. I think even now, now look back on it, I think, yeah, he's angry, I think. <laughs> and you see who's covering A.J. Brown. Well, that should have been Caleb Farley, right? And now look, this is not revisionist history. 95% of fans... Football-watching public analysts thought the Caleb Farley pick was of good value. However, that doesn't fucking matter to the bottom line. Like, it really doesn't matter to the bottom line. The, the, ultimately, you're judged on what happens, and what happens is is, while that may have been a good decision at the time, it did not pan out. Think about your job. If you went and promised and said, and your owner gave you a certain amount of money and he said, listen, I need you to increase our pro- bottom line, our profit, our end goal, and you spend the money and you make what you think are good decisions, but you ultimately fail and it does not increase the bottom line or the profit margin, you're fired. Right. I mean, like this is just like any other job. And I am, and here's how I ultimately feel about it I am surprised it happened. I understand why it happened. And I'm both similarly terrified and excited at what happens next.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, that's kind of where, where I fall on it too. I, I think, you know, some of the stuff, you know, the clowny signing, the the Julio trade, those are major, major misses that he had. And now to be fair, like 95 to 99% of this fan base was head over heels in love with both of those moves. It was, Oh my God, we got Clowney. Uh, Oh my God, we got Julio. We're going to be unstoppable when those moves were made. So it is understandable why he made those moves, but at the end of the day, and I agreed with both those moves for what it's worth, but I agree that at the end of the day, what I think doesn't matter. And I'm not paid millions and millions of dollars to build an nfl roster and john robinson is and he has to live with the results whether they're good or bad and i think on both of those situations both the clowny situation and the julio situation what happened was john robinson put himself in a terrible negotiating situation because they they had nobody as an edge rusher besides harold landry And, you know, they had signed Vic Beasley, but I I think by that point, by the time they signed Clowney, they already knew Beasley, they weren't going to get anything out of him. So they put themselves in a terrible bind. In fact, I don't know if they signed Clowney, if Beasley actually shows up to camp and stuff like that and isn't just a total waste of space. Uh, Maybe they don't, you know, feel the need to sign Clowney, which cost them $10 million, which then trickles downhill because that's $10 million of of cap that would have flowed over into the next season. And that's $10 million you could have used to pay someone else, even if they couldn't use that money in that season for someone else because free agency was already over, whatever, by that point. But it all snowballs downhill. So that move, and then the Julio move, we talked about the whole offseason. Mm-hmm. Where, where's your other wide receiver? Because you let Corey Davis walk, uh, and you can not about whether And rightfully so they at out, the time.
0: Huh? I mean, he, at he the time, a, again, he got he, overpaid and he still he got a lot of overpaid.
1: Yeah, he is overpaid. He, he got a lot of money for a guy that's really no better than like a decent number two. Um, but you let Corey Davis walk and then you never replaced him with anybody. Right. Like we didn't know who, like who was going to be the wide receiver two on that team. We had no idea. And it almost felt like he got into a place where he had to do something. And that was the only viable option left on the table. And I think that it led to him getting fleeced in both situations, both by Clowney's agent who got $10 million out of him. You know, who knows, maybe maybe they could have gotten similar money out of the Saints or whoever else was was in on Clowney at that point. But I definitely think they got fleeced by the Falcons who knew Julio's damaged goods at that point and, and were managed to offload them for a second and a fourth. And the Titans took on that contract and it made them restructure Ryan Tannehill's contract which pushed all this dead cap money into the future, further hamstringing them this year and next year. So it's all just these, these kind of compounding effects of these bad decisions and, you know, whether they were justifiable at the time, I think you can make an argument that I, I could always understand at least for the most part, for the most part, I could understand where John Robinson was coming from on most deals, but At the end of the day, like you said, this is a results-based business, and he was not getting results, and the offense was going the wrong direction. Like, that's what it comes down to. At the end of the day, they reached a new peak in 2019 and 2020 with this offense. They were, what, 10th in scoring in 2019, fourth in 2020. And then it just all slid right off, uh, you know, as they just didn't replace guys who left because, you know, Corey Davis moves on. You didn't really replace him. Uh, You know, then Roger Saffold is cut. You didn't really replace him. Uh, you've got your right tackle situation. You never are able to replace Jack Conklin effectively at this point. Uh, Johnny Smith leaves and you never really replaced him until this year. Um, it was just issue after issue that just lingered and festered and it's ultimately his job to fix it. And uh, I think Vrabel got more out of this group than he probably should have last year, and he's gotten more out of this group than he should have this year. There's a quote uh, from a Bill Simmons podcast, which, you know, Bill Simmons has obviously connections to New England sporting world, and a lot of people that know Vrabel are people that, you know, Bill Simmons knows. There was a comment on one of his podcasts earlier this season I think the Titans were, you know, maybe like five and two or something like that. They'd gone on, the, you know, this little bit of a run and and were suddenly, you know, winning some games. And he was talking to Peter Schrager, and he said, you know, from what I've heard, variables a little surprised that they're playing as well as they are right now this year, and that they they weren't really expecting to to compete at a high level. That this was always going to be a little bit of a reset season for them. I, I think Brabel knew he was dealt a shit hand this season. I think he knew it when AJ was traded. I think he's known it all season. You had the weird quote to Ed Werder where Brabel uh you yeah. know Werder asked him about, hey, I forgot about that. The the s- sustainability Even of the running. Who the fuck Garrett are we Henry's gonna throw it to? Him. And <laughs> he said, Well, it's not like we're gonna throw the ball 50 times. Who the fuck would we throw it to anyway? So there have been weird things trickling out from Brabel that basically tell you he is not happy. Uh, with the options that he has on his roster. I think the other one uh, was, you know, he he had made a comment during one of the press conferences. and I can't remember which one it was, but he basically told the media, if you haven't figured it out yet, this is going to be the way that we have to play. The, we don't have another way that we can go here. Um, and to me, again, that is him saying for all the world to hear, I'm boxed in because I don't have the fucking personnel to do this. I don't. I don't have other options. We can't go throw the ball forty times and spread the ball around the field because we can't block and we can't catch the ball. Like we we don't have the people that we need to be able to go execute at the level that I know that we need to. So I think Brable had been. You know, it's easy to look to dismiss some of those things as one-offs as they just slowly trickled out. But now with this, I kind of feel like Brable has been kind of sending out messages all season that he wasn't happy about the roster. And, And now it certainly looks like maybe he said, you know, went to Amy at some point, or maybe Amy went to him and asked him. But he told Amy, look, I'm not getting enough help from, John. The, this is not working. We are not getting, we don't have a roster to compete uh with the Chiefs and Bills and everyone else right now. And that good on Amy to to make this move. I mean, if right. she feels that way, good on her to go make this move. She's been bold before with firing Malarkey and installing Vrabel, and that worked out beautifully. Um, we'll see if this works out the same way. It may not. Um, but I I I like that she is not settling for okay, you know that she is she is wanting to push the envelope and continue to push until they reach, you know, the the summit here.
0: Well, I I think I think the Stoney Keeley puts this out right at SoberosNetwork He the trickle down effect killed him, and there's a lot more to it. But you you pretty much said the same thing. In, in what you were talking about is that it was a trickle down effect. It's decisions that linger into multiple seasons, right? I mean, it's the not signing Jack Conklin in 2019, it just trickled or after 2019, just trickled all the way down throughout the, throughout the rest of the way. It's that ignoring the wide receiver position and, you know, signing guys coming off ACL injury and only drafting guys that went to the senior bowl, right? I mean, like, that's another thing that, you no, know, yeah. I mean, it's one of the big things for me is that, oh, well, John Robson isn't going to draft that guy because that guy didn't go to the senior bowl. That's why he drafted Dez Fitzpatrick over Amon Ross St. Brown's because Des Fitzpatrick was at the senior bowl. That's,
1: that's yeah, not that's how to run. Class. That had yeah. that those fingerprints all over because it, it was Raiden's, it was uh, Rice, it was Dez, uh, was was Racy there? I can't remember. I if think or. so. I'm, pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Weaver was there. But yeah, yeah they, they went ready. like, I think it, we looked at it at the time and you and I talked about this after the fact right after that draft that like six of the nine guys they drafted or six of eight or whatever it was were senior bowl guys. And it was like very clearly they just were like, all right, we're just going to pick these guys because we got to interact with them in person. And that's, that's limiting your pool way too small in in a situation.
0: And it's something that he's been known to do, right? I mean, like that is the main place he pulls his players from. And it's kind of, it's kind of ridiculous. It's sometimes it's worked. Sometimes it hasn't. But I think the other thing is is that what fans need to take away from this, at least this decision, is that everything you've been complaining about is, and the Titans have put it now in neon letters, and they're, they're flashing it up there for everyone to see. They're not cheap. They have a great coach. And all the problems stem from John Robinson's GM decisions. They, what Mike Vrabel is telling you, whether you like it or not, is that Todd Downing is not the issue, and this is something that you've said the whole time, that he has been given shit to work with, and that shit came home to roost in an epic fashion now four times this year. Two in major epic disasters versus the Bills and versus the Eagles. And then you look at the Giants and the Bengals games that are close that they could have won if they had an offensive line, if they had weapons, instead of signing an over-the-hill Robert Woods to technically be your wide receiver one after you trade away A.J. Brown, all coming off an ACL injury, you should have gone after other guys. And what, what we know about this team is that when Corey Davis was let go, and I'm not saying Kenny Galladay or Marvin Jones or some great wide receivers, They didn't even call those guys, according to people that are in the know. I think PK even said they were never in it for Kenny Galladay. They were never in it for Marvin Jones. But, man, they sure were in it for Josh Reynolds. Man, they're sure in it for Jeff Swain. Like, those decisions are John Robinson decisions, and that's what they're telling you.
1: and And the Josh Reynolds thing, I think, is illuminating here, too, because they went out and got Josh Reynolds. And and at the time, he was, like, their wide receiver, too, right? Like, he right. was the guy that they signed before they they ended up going to get Julio. Um, But the way Vrabel treated him, ultimately, it was like – it was clear Vrabel was not interested in, in Josh Reynolds because Josh Reynolds got, like, zero opportunity to play here. And I, I feel like that was – one of those moments where you could kind of see like the butting of the heads between because yeah, we Robinson were like, Why and, isn't John
0: Josh Reynolds getting playing time?
1: Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, now that, we know, yeah, now we know. I, I think it's because Vrabel just did not value him, um, and whether rightly or wrongly, like I, I think Josh Reynolds has actually played pretty well for the Lions, so you know, maybe that's one where, where Robinson was right and Vrabel was wrong, but either way. It doesn't really matter, and like there's, and this kind of will fade into like the, the next portion of what we probably need to talk about here, which is what's next, and, I I think there's some good and some bad to the idea of a head coach being also in charge of, or at least having a very strong influence over personnel. So let me ask um, you this:
0: This is from a from a reader, uh, S. Rob Vrabel, doesn't strike me as a big personnel scouting guy. To me. Oops, I put in Trace, uh, thing, but to me, I feel like, I think he would, I don't think he's a big scouting guy, but I think he's a big personnel guy.
1: I I think so. Yeah. Cause I mean, like you see him go around to all these, uh, pro days and everything, and he's working out with these guys and he, you know, always talks about how he likes to get his hands on guys. I I think he loves working with guys. I, I, you know, I don't know that he wants to sit down and and scout, um, Mm -hmm. you know, players, uh, day after day, but I think he would enjoy being able to pick out the players that he is going to use. Um, and that's why I think what we'll ultimately see, in my opinion, is Vrabel will have a lot of say over who the GM is um, if he doesn't pick him outright himself. Um, and then I I wouldn't be surprised if we see the GM answer to Vrabel, right. right. Like, I, I think you will have a general manager – um, I don't think Vrabel will be li- listed as the GM specifically, but I think you will have a general manager, but it will be a general manager that answers to Vrabel, which is similar to how I believe it's set up in San Francisco with Kyle Shanahan and uh, John Lynch. Um, obviously, it didn't work out in, in Carolina, but with Matt Rule, I believe it was also set up that way where the, the GM answered to uh, the head coach or or the head coach had final say. Um, on personnel decisions as well as, you know, who plays. And, and
0: well, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's how it works in Minnesota as well. When you talk about a quick turnaround up there, I believe it's very, I think a lot more the new relationships between GM and head coach are a little bit more um, symbiotic than I th- kind of now get the feeling that it was here. Like, I kind of thought that this was a more symbiotic relationship. They were more in lockstep than what they were. I mean, they got extensions at the same time. like. Yeah. You thought that this was a closer relationship than what it was. And I agree with you. I think it's like you're looking at the GM is going to run the scouting department. He's going to run the player profiles. He's going to run the reports and Mike Ribble's going to go, okay, I need a run stopping nose tackle. Who do you got? That's That's coming out of college. Show me the tape. Show me your PowerPoint presentation. Let me read the file, the dossiers, and then he's going to pick which one he thinks is, is time to go. Like, I think that when it comes down to it, like, Jeffrey Simmons, we haven't even talked about what Jeffrey Simmons has said in the offseason. I wonder if that doesn't play into a little bit of this because you let A.J. Brown get traded and control negotiations and narratives. Now this is happening. Like, Mike Frabel comes to the to the GM and says, hey, I need Jeffrey Simmons, you and Vin Marino. if Vin Marino's still around. Get together, figure out how to make it happen. Come to me with a plan on how to make it happen. Let's get this thing done. Like I think that's what his power is—a veto power and a, an assignment kind of power.
1: Yeah, and, and I kind of think, um, and I mentioned this—I don't know if it'll happen or not, but it would not shock me at all if they did something like just Vrabel puts John Stryker uh, in as GM. And, <laughs> oh, that and, would and be
0: fucking amazing—a drama on the, on Twitter and and media. It, That'd be amazing. It,
1: It would be amazing drama, but like the seeds have kind of been laid for this because listen, there, there was a retro article two years ago, um, about Vrabel and it goes into, uh, stretch as he's known, um, John Stryker. And he is technically, I think his, his title now is, uh, football development, uh, coordinator or something like that. Um which is kind of a nonsense title, but he is basically Mike Vrabel's right-hand man. In fact, during Mike Vrabel's coach of the year speech, which this was interesting, Mike Vrabel thanked, you know, his family. He thanked Amy Adam strong. He did not thank John Robinson. Oh, look did at you? He did thank John striker who he called his best friend. Um, and Ooh, Ryan so,
0: Day with the knife twist and Luke Fickle with the knife Yeah, twist. Luke
1: Fickle. Eat shit, Luke. Uh, but no, it is uh, – he called he called Stryker his best friend and thanked him uh, during his Coach of the Year speech. And also in the, the piece I was referencing from Rex Road, uh, it talks about Stryker and his path kind of to, to Brable, who he's been with. You know, he met him at Ohio State. And uh, was with Everett Withers, and then he followed Everett Withers to James Madison, and then he went to Texas State um, with him. But Everett Withers, who was on Ohio State staff with Stryker, with Brable, also with Shane Bowen, um, so obviously very connected in with this group, said to Rexroad in 2020, he said, uh, You watch, Stretch is going to be an NFL GM someday. He's going to be a star in this league. And the uh, Rex Rose commentary was that strikers hope is to eventually go to the personnel side. So
0: if, if you all were are not watching YouTube right now, or if you guys are, if you're listening to this in the podcast form, you should see my face because it is just, I, I can't believe that you remember this article from two years ago, first up. But secondly, this also ties into the article that was put out earlier this year about Vrabel. I don't remember who wrote it. I think it was one of the money uh, Connor or one of the money Monday morning quarterback guys or something like that. Are you but talking about
1: the, the one that talked about striker again? He
0: talked about striker again, about how Vrabel plays the game and knows all the rules. And this is why Mike Sandow. Yeah, Mike Sandow. Sandow. Yeah. But he was mentioning that too. And I'm thinking, yep. cause I'm thinking, okay, Ryan Calden probably is not going to, you know, stick around, but he's going to at least fill it in for now. And I also thought Monty Austinfort would, could maybe he's Vrabel's guy because you don't really hear John Robinson talk about Monty Austinfort, but everybody in the NFL knows about him, right? Is wants right. to interview him. So I thought maybe he's a surprise dark horse. But now I'm thinking it's going to be stretch, right? Like, <laughs> is it if you're putting odds on it, like minus 250, <laughs> like.
1: Here's the thing, if Vrabel is fully in control and Vrabel is dictating who this is, I think it's going to be Stryker because, I mean, who would he trust more than Stryker? Who would know what he wants more than Stryker? Um, and honestly, that's ultimately what he wants in that position, right? He just wants somebody that who, who he trusts, who he trusts the judgment of and that he knows that he can work with. So to me, there's no better person for Vrabel then putting Stryker in that spot and having somebody that he knows he likes that, that he can work with and that, you know, frankly he can control too. I mean, like striker's not going to bow up to Vrabel. I can't imagine. Um, I don't know if
0: your friends, maybe he's more comfortable yeah, with being challenged that way. He, he
1: may be more willing to speak his mind because he knows, like I mean, he they're dove hunting or something. They're dove hunting. True. And he's like, Oh, I was watching this guy,
0: <laughs> you know, this quarterback and Vrabel's like, nah, Tannehill's our guy. And he's like, no, Tannehill's not our guy. And they shoot a dove and, you know, the clay shooting or whatever, drinking bush lights. We, That's what I imagine Vrabel does on his off time.
1: We we may need to produce a, uh, a buddy comedy featuring uh, a and striker. If they, yeah. do get, if he does get named GM, but to me like that, that is a guy that makes a lot of sense to me. If, if it doesn't make a ton of sense for them to go out and like hire some outside GM. I, I just, yeah, I don't I would that think it's... that
0: he would have a good connection with anybody that is good. Right. Like, right. like, and here's the thing. Everybody that's worried about the next GM that comes in being a total bust, I think the opposite. I think the next GM is going to be in good hands because you have Amy Adam Strunk, who guess what? Hired John Robinson, by the way. And then you now have Mike Vrabel's input. Obviously, this firing, I think Mike Vrabel has a plan. I think Mike Vrabel knows that, and Amy Adam Strunk knows, they have money despite what people think. We get we're not spending the money correctly, and we got to fix that. And I think that if you're talking about a guy that's going to be on the road, that's going to be at the pro days, going to be at doing senior bowl stuff, that's going to be doing that. It's prob stretch was probably doing a majority of that anyway. And now you, Vrabel, because a lot of people are like, well, you can't do both, right? You can't be this and you can't be that because it takes up too much of your time. Well, now if you got basically Vrabel Jr doing all the work and then he brings you three or four players you know that he eliminated players based on your all's conversations already like you can trust that whoever he brings you are Vrabel guys if they're if you're talking about drafting which brings me to my next question and this comes from colin nixon in the in the youtube chat curious to see how this move impacts the quarterback situation of the future New GMs usually want to get their guy. Does Tannehill stick around? What happens to Willis? So, this is a great question because I think that if you're thinking of Tannehill, I think Tannehill's both their guys, right? Like, do you get that sense or do you think that Vrabel knows that, okay, Tannehill's contract sucks, we're going to trade for Tom Brady? Like, what do you think about that? Because that's now another new situation here that – Vrabel and Tom Brady, Vrabel and Tannehill because Tom Brady's getting the shit kicked out of him down in, in down in uh, Tampa Bay. You know what the quarterback situation is in flux. Now the wide receiver group, the offensive line, all this stuff is like thrown out the window. I think everybody on the defense is safe except for Bud Debris' contract and Zach Cunningham's contract. But you have to open up the possibility. That Vrabel knows the limits of Ryan Tannehill and or and is looking gonna look to upgrade, and or he, tannehill is Vrabel and stretches guy, and but Malik Willis isn't because like the Malik Willis thing is just so interesting now because he never really seemed to fit. I always thought they would have to change the entire offense for Malik Willis when they were drafted him or even in the pre-draft. He just never seemed to fit, and now this whole quarterback situation is a flux. So where do you land on this? I know we haven't had a lot of time to digest it, but where do you land on the Tom Brady possibility? Cause maybe that also played into maybe a little bit of strife, maybe Mike Vrabel and I'm just pure conjecture, but maybe Mike Vrabel wanted Tom Brady over Ryan Tannehill. Remember Mike Vrabel did yeah. FaceTime him and Julian Edelman, which
1: could just be friends. And that's yeah. just
0: a little conspiracy theory that I love. I love conspiracy theories. You know, I do. I mean so I'm just throwing it out there.
1: It's it's possible. I do think Brable loves Tannehill. Um and, yeah. and he's he's been he's gone. To That's where
0: I land time. as well. I land on that side as well.
1: But um I do think I do think it'll be interesting because yeah, you're right. I mean, GMs do generally get like to pick their own quarterback. Now it's it's interesting that Robinson really never picked out his quarterback, right? He inherited Mariota, he traded for Tannehill, but I am still 100 percent to this day convinced that when they traded for Tannehill. They traded for him because Mariota was always hurt and they wanted a good backup. They wanted a top end backup uh, to to give them some insurance because they knew they were going to have to play their backup quarterback a few games during the season. So I am not convinced at all that Tannehill that Robinson ever really chose or thought Tannehill was going to be the starter. Now, I guess you could say he chose him when he paid him. I, I think that's probably fair um but he never really got to draft that guy until Malik which was really just a third round pick and probably still just you know mostly a backup with upside um so it it is interesting that he never really got that opportunity here now two other GMs that I think are at least worth discussing uh Rick Smith of the texans who was famously lost a power struggle with bill o'brien yeah uh in 2017 but rick smith built that texans team into what it really was which was running the division he got uh he lost a power struggle i think the year that vrabel left or the year before vrabel left to come here so he would have been the gm the whole time vrabel was an assistant coach in houston Um, I think he would be someone that you could potentially see uh, as a candidate. And then Brian Gain is the guy that replaced him uh, in Houston and was also an assistant in Houston. uh, He left to 20. Rick uh, Smith
0: left in 2017 after the 2017 season. So right there.
1: So right. Yeah. Right. At the same time, Brayble left to come here. Um, I think those would be the names that you would look to if you were going to look for uh, an outside name. I don't think Rick Smith has been in football since he...
0: Yeah, according well, to Wikipedia, he has not. Maybe um, he's Brian been waiting. Gaines, Maybe he waiting for this.
1: Currently assistant GM for the Bills. Um, so, you know, that, that could be someone you look at as a possibility. But either way, I still think it makes more sense that it is going to be striker... Or, you know, maybe who knows what variables relationships are like with Calden and or Austin Ford. If, if maybe one of those guys, you know, would also I think would Austin Ford's the well. one
0: that's most likely associated with gonna ties. Yeah. yeah.
1: Calden came from the Panthers and didn't have yeah. any ties to Vrabel before he arrived. And here, we
0: remember Vrabel. Calden was up there with John Robinson during a couple of press conferences and uh, in the off season. I've, have no clue what even Austin Ford looks like. I barely know what Cowden looks like, but. He's a
1: bald guy. Austin yeah, but Ford's a But bald Austin
0: guy. Ford has, hasn't really been out in the forefront of anything yeah. other than when you see him randomly pop up for first interviews, second interviews, and he you're like, smart. why?
1: He was like, when they, when the Texans hired Casario, or I guess when they tried to hire Casario and failed the first time, uh, Austin Ford was one of the names that was, I, I think, I know he interviewed, but I, I want to say he was like a finalist. For that job before they decided to give it to Pastor Jack and uh and wait a year before uh before they could get Casario without tampering charges. So yeah. um yeah, that was that that is an interesting like though i would imagine like one of those five people that that we just named though, Calden, Austin Ford, striker uh Rick Smith or Brian Gain. Like one yeah, of I
0: couldn't really think of anybody like from any kind of like college athletic directors that would be good for this. Like you got to think it's going to be someone that Vrabel is comfortable with. And you got to think that, I mean, yeah, it's Cowden right now, but it's probably just C- Cowden because he's the closest to John Robinson. And it's an easier transition to carry out for the last five, six weeks of the season. Yeah. And then, then they going to pick up their search. And I think their search will include a, a few of these guys. Um, Obviously, you have to um you know, interview a few different GMs and outside sources and according to league rules and all that. i I, I and this Andrew King right here asked a question. You don't think there's any chance that Cowden stays the GM? I think there's a chance. I, I think, think it's, it's the good. least likely of all the of all the scenarios, in my opinion, because I think he is so close to John Robinson. You don't know how many of the decisions he had a hand in that John Robinson has done. We we don't,
1: yeah. So and they do, and that's a really interesting topic here because that's the thing. Like I saw some people say, "Well, oh great, you got the the second in command of the guy who chose Isaiah Wilson or whatever." Like there's not 100% agreement on all of these decisions, so we don't know who was in favor of what. It could have been you know Ryan Cowden was you know, 100% anti Isaiah Wilson, you know, or, or maybe he was on board with, it. I, I don't know that. I don't think anybody knows that unless right. you are in the building and knows people are going to tell you. I, I uh, think if at the end of
0: the off. season, they don't take him from interim and just take the title off. That means, you know, that he was a lot closer tied to John Robinson than what, then, than we, than we know. Right.
1: And, and uh, as Andrew brings up here too, he, he was getting GM interviews last off season and he was, he, he's gotten him several off seasons now, but he hasn't been hired for one. Mm. And at some point after you've interviewed and interviewed and interviewed, cause he's been up for like no less than five or six openings at this point. Yeah, It's been you two wonder, or three years. I think he's been getting interviews. Yeah. Like what is, I know at what, least two. Yeah. You kind of wonder like, what is there an issue with him? Uh, you know, the way he interviews or, or whatever. I, I don't know that there is maybe, maybe there were just better candidates or whatever, but nobody has chosen him yet, which is, At least eyebrow-raising to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you got to take that into account, right? There's a reason that, you know, whatever you may think the reason is, there is a reason Eric Bianami has yet to be hired, right? Like, either some people are bad interviews, some people have bad plans, but it doesn't prevent bad people from getting hired either, right? I mean, you look at Matt Rule got hired and, you know, Adam Gase has been hired. It doesn't prevent bad people from getting hired, but there's always reasons why, certain people are not hired and you have to think that Ryan Cowden being as young as he is coming from really a good background of resume with the Tennessee Titans that he would have been pretty, you would think that he would have been hired by now. Um, you know, John Robinson and, and let's talk about what's next for the team and the John Robinson being fired. Really fixes nothing for the 2022 season. Like, what oh, yeah, you got with the 2022? You're he, listen. As much as I want him to, because I think it'd be funny, I because I think it would be a great conspiracy theory that says that Adam, Amy, Adam Strunk wanted them to be in on OBJ, and they John Russell's like, no, nah, we can't go in on OBJ, and that's why he got fired. Like, I want that conspiracy theory to be true, but they're not going to suddenly jump in the OBJ sweepstakes, right? In fact, it was just reported by Ed Warder that the, this physical. According to the cowboys, who probably want him for cheap, did not come back very encouraging, right? And they're probably he's trying to also almost, scare eight, away:
1: He's still eight months removed yeah. from ACL surgery. I mean I, I,
0: I, th- I just think it's funny the team is leaking that because you yeah. know that means that like they they're trying to scare off the bills or they're trying to scare off the giants or trying to get them for cheaper, you know, and it may be partly true, but they're suddenly not going to do that. They're not going to suddenly go out and sign Will Fuller. You know, who's a, a, or Eric Flowers, who we kind of all have been hyping and wanting at this point. I think at this point, they are stuck with what they got. Now, after the 2022 season, I think that you're going to see Bud Dupree gone. I think you're going to see Zach Cunningham gone. I think that uh, Danico Autry will be brought back. I think that Ryan Tannehill will be brought back. And I kind of think I don't know where I land on the Derrick Henry situation just quite yet. And I also think Taylor Lawan, I th- Think could be brought back now that John Robinson's gone. I, you know, it's just I'm not sure if
1: that makes it more or less likely. Yeah, I'm still.
0: not sure either, but I i think that when you get down to it, th- this offseason is exciting. I don't care if it's Ryan Calden, Stretch, Monty Austin, Fort, Rick Smith. This offseason is exciting because whoever the GM is coming into this team is still coming into a team that is good. This is not, you know, whoever comes in for the Jacksonville Jaguars or the Texans or a bottom-feeding team. They get to come in, and I think what this signals should signal to everybody is that Amy Adam Strunk, because of her words, open checkbook season, right? Jeffrey Simmons is going to get paid. Hopefully, Nate Davis gets paid, and David Long gets paid. And, yeah, they're all John Robinson draft picks, right? But we have seen John Robinson not sign his own draft picks when he needs to. He, we've seen him not negotiate. He didn't even talk to Corey Davis. Corey Davis was on the raw room, if I'm not mistaken, and he basically said they never even talked to us about numbers. They even never even approached my agent about wow. a deal.
1: That's that's pretty wild, and it's, like, and it seems that seems kind of crazy. Like, I know, I know, Buck was reporting uh, at the time that. I, I, it seemed like they were close, maybe, to, to getting something. I, I, so I don't know what to believe on that necessarily. But either way, there have been missteps about, you know, guys that have been brought back um, or not brought back. And it'll it's definitely an interesting offseason now because it is uh, – Now we know nothing not about open. this
0: team, right? Like, we don't know what Vrabel's going to look for, what this team's going to look for, what kind of players they drive. Like Like we joked about, but it's kind of true – if you're in, coming off an injury or you're a senior bowl player, you're a Tennessee Titan, right? Like you could pretty much bet money that they're gonna select someone like that and, and also pay someone like that coming off the offseason. And I wonder if they're not gonna be going big for I think maybe a bunch of you know nine or ten million dollar contracts on defense, and they're gonna go big to fix this offensive line fairly quickly. But you know, to me. I think it's about taking care of your own guys. And I think, you know, Mike Vrabel preaches that a lot. You know, he preaches about the guys in the locker room taking care of our guys. If they take care of us, they'll take care of you and blah, blah, blah. Like, he builds these relationships with these players. And then John Robinson lets them go. Or John Robinson trades them. And to me, I think that is going to be the biggest overarching change is that a bunch of our guys are going to get signed that should get signed. You should bring back David Long. You should bring back Nate Davis. Reasonable contracts. You should bring back Jeffrey Simmons. You know, you should try to convince, you know, Ben Jones to stick around. You definitely bring back Danico Autry. You bring back these guys that you know have bought in. But what does this look like for free agency? Like, do players now, does this make make a team more attractive that Mike Vrabel's in charge or has a little bit more player personnel control or does it hurt like it's the Tennessee Titans but now it's Mike Vrabel's Tennessee Titans technically like I feel like it's like my, the the Mike Vrabel show featured Mike Vrabel fe- and then also here the Tennessee Titans
1: I mean it will it will be interesting because I do think uh, to some degree I don't think it really mat- will matter to the players, but I do think it will matter to agents. And a lot of times agents do form relationships with certain GMs or, or, you know, certain people in, in front offices because that's who they deal with. And that's, you know, and I don't know how strong Robinson's relationships are with agents or, or whether they're a team. I mean, it's really hard to know because pe- people just don't talk about this stuff. Right. Because, I don't know if teams are, you know, agents are excited about getting their guys to come to the Titans or, or trying to get their guys to come to the Titans because they like working with John Robinson and, and, you know, whatnot. I would think the fact that they have not gotten more extensions done than they have tells me that, you know, maybe they don't necessarily try to direct their guys here, you know, when they can. Um, so all that stuff matters. Um, I don't I don't it's impossible to, for me to like really say whether it would be better or worse with a new guy. I I'm going to be interested in the timeline uh, of the, the GM search, because I think the firing happening now to me says we're about to ramp up college scouting. We want to get somebody in place as soon as possible uh, so that we can have that person involved in the whole college scouting process from, you know, right now is kind of when teams like kind of like, A little bit of a behind-the-scenes look at this. A lot of times, you know, mostly during the season, scouts are on the road visiting schools, getting insight from, uh, you know, coaches, you know, teammates, stuff like that. They are going to games, they're going to practices, they're checking in on these guys, you know, looking who, you know, they think their team might be interested in for their area. Once the season's over is when they really start to get into like heavy tape evaluation because a lot of GMs and a lot of scouts like to be able to look at a lot of tape all at one time for one player so they can kind of see, okay, here's the progression of how he did throughout the sort season and they know the context of the injuries, you know, when a guy might have been playing hurt, whatever, like all this other stuff. So that's when the tape evaluation really starts is like right now. Um, so it makes me think that whoever they're going to get in place, they're going to get them in place pretty quickly. And whether Cowden is kind of the man in charge for the rest of the season, and then they're going to put Striker in, or whatever, or if they're or whatever whatever this is going to look like, I think it's going to happen pretty fast. Like as far as interviews, hiring process, all that stuff. I don't know if they'll have a hire before the season ends necessarily, but I think it'll be like the minute the season ends, the the hire is announced. Like you know, if if it doesn't happen during the season, because there's nothing to say that they couldn't make the move during the season um it doesn't change anything for this year really uh all it does is is expedite the the process of getting that guy in into that seat and having them be able to mold the scouting process for this upcoming draft class because this, this up, 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 upcoming draft class is huge for this team i mean they they desperately need to refill the coffers at several positions uh they need to get younger at a lot of spots um and and you know obviously fully rebuild the offensive line so they need to have a great uh draft class and it's going to be it's obviously a little bit more difficult to do when you don't have uh the GM that that's been running this thing for years and years you know directing uh his scouts that he hired uh and, and things like that so i i'm very interested to see how quickly they get somebody in place and then also and this has been brought up in the chat a few times. Do they go to like a more of an analytics approach? Like this is something that we have griped about with John Robinson.
0: Yeah. I mean, is that John Robinson? Because John Robinson, I think has been more vocal in his stance about analytics, right? Like I, I, what, how he views analytics, but it's also to me is do they start modernizing stuff a little bit now? Like does, does, did, Mike Vrabel realized because Mike Vrabel's comments about passer rating, winning the trenches, and limiting turnovers in the run game and stuff like that's how you win games, right? And he goes, "If you go and look, that's how you've won games for the last twenty-five years." That seems a little data-driven, right? That they they've realized that they win games when this stuff happens, and but you also want a modern approach, and we we've always said that we think Vrabel is the guy. That is establishing the modern approach or the 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 offensive philosophy. Does what are the chances that analytics and or that changes? Like in my mind, I almost think that it kind of maybe changes a little, but not enough that you're going to be little. You're going to be able to tell a shit ton of difference on the field or something. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, I guess I would be interested to see kind of like how this plays out, like whether. Because I don't know that Vrabel is a super analytics, you know, guy that that he's just all in on you know models and and stuff like that. I think he is a little bit old school in the fact that you know he feels like you know some of the the older ways of thinking about things are are the way to build a football team uh, versus you know the the modern ultra modern uh, analytical approaches. But I do think to some degree that the way that the Titans have chosen to build this team and have chosen to, um, you know, kind of structure their, the way they play football with, you know, the offense and the defense and everything. I, I kind of think that it is uh, largely due to who they have. I mean, like, if you don't have a Mahomes, if you don't have a Herbert and I've talked about this for years, Mm. if you don't have a Josh Allen, It's really hard to just be like this drop back and throw it 45 times a game team and succeed at the NFL level, because what you're going to end up having is a bunch of turnovers, uh, a bunch of sacks, a bunch of negative plays. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, that's kind of uh, the hand that they've been dealt. And unless they can fall into a franchise quarterback or, you know, whoever, uh, or a, or a higher-level quarterback. And I'm not taking a shot at Tannehill. And I think everyone knows my position on this if you watch the show. Tannehill is a good quarterback. He's not a great quarterback. Um, he's a They've guy already who,
0: signed someone, by the way. They've really? signed cornerback John Reed. A cornerback, of course, because, I mean, like, fuck left tackle, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, John Reed to their 53-man roster off the Falcons practice squad per source among the first moves for interim GM Ryan Cowden. So Ryan Cowden's first move is not to go for the Texans, not to go for the Patriots, to go over to little brother over at the Falcons and pick up a guy.
1: Well, he, uh, I mean, it, honestly, that's probably not great news for Christian Fulton's injury. Um, yeah, is uh, my first thought there. But uh, yeah, it, it, interesting either way. <laughs> I guess. I mean, it's not a not a earth shattering well, move there. Well,
0: let me ask you this. Um, Mike Vrabel's typically the top 10 on when to go for it and everything, his fourth down decision-making, which would lend you to believe that maybe he doesn't know he's using analytics, but he has an analytical mind, right? I don't know if that that stretch in his mind. So if that stretch in his mind, and stretch becomes GM, don't you think there's going to be a little bit more emphasis on analytics? Yeah, so that, that i am talked great. myself into stretch by the way. In like a, a span is. of thirty <laughs> fucking minutes, I am all in on stretch GM. And if he's not GM, I'm gonna be so fucking disappointed.
1: That is the other thing on Stretch, <laughs> is that it has been reported that he is the guy that is in Vrabel's headset giving him percentages and go no go situations, which Vrabel has been very good at, especially this year. So um and, and like stretch has also been credited for a lot of the stuff where you know, Rabel obviously knows the rule book really well, but manipulating the clock and things like that—all these little things that they do—that's kind of stretches the area of expertise. It seems like so. I don't know how much you want to take him out of that role or whatever, but I do think he's kind of a guy that would be a—he'd uh, uh, be a very risky pick. Just the fact that he's never been in NFL uh, scouting department or NFL personnel department, but I mean, he would certainly be an interesting pick. Um and uh, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't totally rule it out. I, I'm just saying.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this because I I know we're about to we got to still talk about the Jaguars. So we got to talk about fan reaction. But tonight at six thirty p.m. Central Standard Time, if if you you need to be listening to this, Mike and everybody else needs to be listening to this. On Channel Two is the Mike Vrabel Show. Will this oh. be the highest rated Mike Vrabel Show ever? Because I am tuning in the first time i've ever tuned into this will this be the highest mike rabel uh show ever
1: oh man it should be i mean if they
0: they uh, still have it i haven't checked to see if they canceled it or anything but
1: i i can imagine um i i would i would bet that rabel would be very very diplomatic and he will probably tell is it mike keith that does it with him i know he's either him or
0: amy it's amy wells amy wells it's amy
1: wells okay I would imagine he probably tells Amy Wells, you get one John Robinson question, <laughs> I will make one statement, and then if you ask him about him again, I'm throwing you off the set. Like, <laughs> I <been> a body <laughs>
0: slam. I'm going to hit you with a spine buster, pop-up powerbomb.
1: It is live, no chance, by the way, yeah.
0: Andrew. Uh, it's live at 6.30 p.m. Uh, just crazy. I I, did, I thought about that while you were talking. I was like, wait a minute. I think the Mike Vrabel show is on the, is on the night. That okay, is so true. stretch for GM. <laughs> but we that's that's table to the offseason. Here's where we're at. The Tennessee Titans have an embarrassing loss, loss to the Philadelphia Eagles. Titans Twitter, of course, goes full on boo-hoo fucking meltdown and thinks this team is going to lose to the Jaguars this week, which is utterly ridiculous because the, the Titans are going to sweep you. Heard it here first. The Titans are going to sweep the Jaguars, finish out their sweep of the AFC South against the Texans at the end of the year. They're going to lose to the Cowboys and beat the Chargers. And right now, I don't know how much influence John Robinson has had or how much the uh, presence of John Robinson or the, I guess, the tension between Mike Vrabel and John Robinson has affected the locker room. But, This past Sunday, Mike Vrabel had this comment to say about the team being at a crossroads.
1: Well, I mean, I think we're at a crossroads. I told the team, I think we're at a crossroads, and kind of how we, you know, want to want to continue down this season. And uh, you know, we can't can't point fingers. You know, we have to assume that that each and every one of us didn't do a good enough job because we didn't. Um, You know, we have to come to work with with greater energy and, and greater resolve to, to prepare to win a football game against a, you know, a division opponent. And, uh, you know, it sucks losing. It sucks getting beat the way we did. Um, but, but we have to, you know, we got to make a decision, you know, how much are we willing to invest uh, and, and trust in, in what the, you know, the coaches are doing, trusting what each and other players are doing so I just I think it's a critical time for us. Come
0: to Jesus meeting is pretty much what I heard for the locker room off of the Eagles' embarrassing loss because we we talked about it on our podcast that we dismissed, but we kind of felt like at some point the team just kind of like knew they were not gonna they were not in this game and not going to win. That's kind of how I felt. Now, I still think this team has been was what has always been. It's going to win games, whether more than likely close games that are going to drive you fucking nuts against mediocre to very bad teams, and they're going to lose against good teams. However, firings sometimes light a fire under certain players' asses, and maybe certain players that thought they were safe in a John Robinson regime may not be so safe anymore. You could see because it's, I find it a little interesting that LaRaven Clark's name got in, mentioned on su- Monday's press conference about competing with uh, Dennis Daly, who John Robinson traded a fifth-round pick for, which I think is still the worst trade of the offseason. You can't convince me otherwise. So, in that sense, now Mike Vrabel mentions LaRaven Clark's competing. Well, maybe John Robinson didn't like that. Now, it also was a little source of contention. I don't know. But players that maybe have thought they were safe are now going to have a fire under their ass. A team who just got their general manager fired for their performance and not living up to his expectations, he set on them by either drafting or signing them, now has a fire lit under their ass. Mike Vrabel probably is pissed off for greatness right now as much as this team is. I think this could be the biggest winning margin for the tennessee titans this weekend and i feel really i don't really feel bad for the jaguars but i feel bad for anybody that has to face this team going forward because they are going to be pissed off
1: yeah i could i could see that i I would feel better about that if uh Traylon burks if i felt confident Traylon burks was going to play but i'm guessing he probably won't um which means they still end up in the box that that john robinson has built for them and that he ultimately got fired for building which is an offensive line that can't run block well enough to get derrick henry going and receivers who can't get open uh and catch the football so i would worry a little bit about that now that being said jaguars defense is bad uh they certainly aren't nearly what the eagles are or um you know even the bengals uh so I think the Titans will win this game. I don't know. I'm not expecting a blowout just because I don't, I feel like this team cannot score more than 24 points. Like that, that is about like their cap um, or I guess 27. That's what they scored in green Bay. Right. Like, so I think 27 might be the cap. So yeah, maybe it's a 27 to 10, like, which I guess would be a blowout. Um, But I don't know. I, 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 struggle to see a blowout without Traylon burks
0: you, you don't you don't think that maybe this team just comes out in a totally different re-energized state and and they're the renewed vigor because i'm so interested to see what this team looks like not only from a personnel standpoint as far as you know who gets to nod at the start I, i'm interested to see just because we we talked about well it's mike Vrabel's team it's mike Vrabel's decision Mike Frabel's – but how much is it is pressure from John Robinson or saying they you got to play this guy because we did this like we got to do this because we did that we, I I don't know I am just I I don't think that there's a high chance of that but I think when you leave the possibility of that being the case it makes this game a lot more interesting
1: Yeah I mean it will be interesting like you know hey is is LaRaven Clark suddenly the left tackle um, You know, it, it, do they have like some different guys in there at, at certain spots? It, it'll be interesting to kind of track some of that stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I'm so much. <laughs> I feel like this move today has shaken the snow globe so much that's just like, yes, this game Sunday is exciting to some degree because like it is basically, for all intents and purposes, it's a chance to clin- clinch the division. They won't technically clinch it with a win they would knock the jaguars out of it but they would have to they would have to wait for the colts to lose one more game or or to you know beat the chargers the next week uh, to fully clinch but i i just can't help but think about the off season now like i'm yeah. i'm just sitting here going like cuz you know that nothing this mean? firing doesn't
0: change the outcome of the team no. as far as expectations for a super bowl this year no. but now you're thinking well you know, could Todd Downing still keep his job? What what if he doesn't? And then you got, you bring in Tim Kelly and maybe it's Tim Kelly, Rick Smith and Mike Vrabel and, you know, just, you know, going crazy on offense this year. You know, what if they decide to trade up for, trade away assets and then trade up for stuff? It's like, yeah, the Jaguars game, they'll probably beat them and whatever. They're probably going to go four and one down the stretch. But what is this? Like, it's hard for me to focus.
1: Yeah, it, it really—it's hard for me to stay on task here talking about the Jaguars. Yeah,
0: because I go back to John Robinson.
1: Yeah, it all comes back to him today, and and let me say this about John Robinson too. You know, before we like wrap things up, uh, Robinson, like to me, the John Robinson era was successful. Like, mm-hmm. and and I'll write about this a little bit more in depth for pk site this week but uh or i guess it'll be up either tonight or in the morning um but to me it was a success like he inherited a team like you know we've all been over this a million million times but five and 27 the previous two seasons before he arrived they've rattled off six straight winning seasons since um you know he's 20 plus games over 500 as a gm um he was ex- he was absolutely a success, but he either got stale or capped out uh, where he was able to take this team. They they just were not like they are not talented enough. That that is ultimately yeah. what you very clearly see when they play these teams like the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals and all these other teams that they are competing with at this point. We had talked about this just a couple not of weeks ago
0: enough. or a couple years ago. We talked about, I think I called it the hubris pod or something. Like we talked, to, I talked about John Robinson's hubris, like throughout the whole episode, because I was just like the the goal to you know only do these moves and to just st- stay the status quo, to be okay with Jeff Swain, Anthony Ferkser, and Tommy Hudson, whoever else was the tight end last year. Like there was a lot of overvaluing losers, like Jeff Swain is a John Robinson thing, right? Like, that is a John Robinson guy. Mason Kinsey, John Robinson guy. Cody, all the players that you hate, Dennis Daly, Jeff Swain, Cody Hollister, um, those, uh, those are John Robinson guys. Aaron Brewer, John Robinson guy. Like, and you can say what you want about Aaron Brewer's future as a center or something, but ultimately, John Robinson said, Mike Vrabel, we can make Aaron, you can make Aaron Brewer work. I have faith in Aaron Brewer and I have faith in you. I'm not getting you a left guard. Like, that is the thing. All the players that everybody hates, probably gone. God, I hope they're fucking gone. Maybe Aaron Aaron Brewer can stick around. I don't have a problem with Aaron Brewer as a backup. But I think a lot of these guys are going to be fucking gone.
1: Yeah. Uh, let, Let me ask you this. Best best GM in, in Titans franchise history. Is it John Robinson or Floyd Reese?
0: Oh, John Robinson, hands down. Yeah, Not even close.
1: I, I would agree with that. Uh, now, Floyd I, Reese got more years. Yeah. He had 13 years with the franchise. Robinson only had seven. And he
0: ran that franchise into the ground. He locked Steve McNair out of the, the building. He yeah. let Steve McNair and D- Derek Mason go to the Ravens. He got him the team, Yeah, he got the team put in cap hell. Yeah. At least Amy Adams drunk. Had the uh, the foresight, unlike Bud Adams, to get out now before letting him continue to run up uh, close to the cap for no for no um, rewards. Right, like right. he's risking all this money, and they're just continuing to land in the same place, which is win the division. Whoop-de-do! That's great because you got to win the division, to get in the playoffs, but you're you're you can't compete with anybody in the playoffs
1: almost. Yeah. It's kind of funny. If you look at uh, Floyd Reese's tenure um, you know, it almost looks very similar to to Robinson's like he, he takes over a bad team. They get to mediocre, then they surge and become a playoff team and and contend for a little bit. And then things just get stale and kind of die off. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of the same cycle. It just happened a little bit faster uh, with Robinson. Frank, like frankly, Robinson had a better much better winning percentage than Floyd yeah. Reese over the course of his career. So It's, it's, yeah, it's just one of those things. I just want to say like on, on this day that while we are all talking about Robinson's failures, which ultimately led to his firing and they are real and they are, you know, I thought, I personally thought he'd get another year um, and I thought it would have been okay if he'd gotten another year. Um, But I don't have a huge problem with them, them firing him. And frankly, if if this was Rabel at all, if Rabel was saying, you know, hey, I, I've got to have something else. I've got to have something else.
0: It's me I or or it. something, you know, him, or it's, or it's this him or Ohio State. or, Ohio State, or right. You know,
1: right. If that was part of this, then absolutely Amy Adam Strunk made the right decision. Because right. I was telling people when they were asking about it, you know, uh, last week when the Ohio State stuff came out from that Rex piece, I was like, well, if it comes down to it, The uh if someone has to go between Robinson and Vrabel, it has got to be Robinson. Like you absolutely cannot let Vrabel outside of this franchise. He is the most valuable member of the franchise. You can't let him go no matter what. Um, and so I think that probably, you know, whether there was an ultimatum or not, um, we'll probably never know. But they made the right choice in choosing Vrabel, which I do think this is a choice for Vrabel. Um, and I I I would be shocked if he doesn't end up with veto power over the, the new general I agree. manager. So and I, I, and I, I think
0: that's okay. You don't want Vrabel being the main scout or being the main negotiator or something. You just want him, to, or and he probably wants this too, to have the control that he needs to make sure that he, he knows. I can work with a lot, but why don't you get me really good players to let me work with them and we're going to have a Super Bowl team. And yeah. here's what I need to get to a Super Bowl team. I needed AJ Brown, and AJ Brown's gone. And now Jeffrey Simmons is that tenuous situation. And now this may may to me this is a sign that this is gonna get wrapped up quickly. Like Jeffrey, this is not gonna be a lingering all the way into the season kind of deal. Jeffrey Simmons is gonna get wrapped up here soon. I know I mean I'm not talking like in the week or so, yeah. but sooner rather than later.
1: I, I would imagine he'll be signed to an extension this offseason and this should also put to rest any of the oh the Titans are so tight on money that they can't afford uh, to do Jeffrey Simmons extension because of the the stadium stuff. John, they just extended John Robinson. He had yeah. what four years left on his deal. They've got to pay out all those four years. This is not the cheap decision. Like th- this is going to cost them probably upwards of you know twenty something million, thirty million dollars, and now they're going to have to go pay a new. General manager, uh, you know, regardless of who they hire, so this is clearly, you know, they have money to spend on whatever they need to to make this team better, and and it's a declaration from a- Amy Adam strunk that we're going for it. We are going to push the envelope, and we're going to try to win a Super Bowl um, here in Tennessee, and, and that's great. That should be celebrated by the fan base.
0: Yeah, yeah, great owner great coach and i thought at the and i still do that we had a top tier gm but i am okay with getting rid of a top tier gm because you don't think his performance has been up to snuff which it technically hasn't in recent years and you want to be better you know like we 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 talk shit about the colts and chris ballard all the time and he has made more egregious mistakes that are setting the Colts back than John Robinson has set the Titans back. Now, I want Chris Ballard to stay employed, mind you. But <laughs> isn't it nice to have an owner that says, we're, we're pretty great, but we could be better. And the way we're going to get better is we are going to have to fire our GM, who has done us really well, but has, who has flatlined and has grown stale. You know, instead of letting Jeff Fisher coach you for 20 years when you know it's not working anymore, you know, it's it, that you, you got to cut it off now and you got to cut it off early so you can get a head start on what you ever you need to do. So you're not falling behind in the offseason. Remember when they fired Jeff Fisher and then like Mike Munchak is like hired in like, I don't know, like March or April or something? <laughs> like it was wild how late they waited to hire him. So I'm all in on the decision. I am shocked. I am surprised, but I'm not sad. I mean, I hate that someone lost their job, yeah. but I'm not sad. I'm tentatively like excited, scary, but I'm also, I understand it. Like it's a logical decision. And it seems the only person to think that it's not a logical decision is right now Jared Stillman, who says that uh, John Robinson should not have been fired which I think is crazy because all he does is complain about every player that John Robinson has ever drafted. and thinks this team stinks. So yeah. All right. That will do it for us. Do you have any last words, last words,
1: last words? um, I would say that. Rabel getting control of the roster, at least veto power to me is a good thing. I, I think that'll help this team make sure that it is on the same wavelength. And there's a lot of teams around the NFL that do it that way. It's not, I know everyone will point to Bill O'Brien and the the Texans disaster, but this does not have to be that way. Where he is the the GM and in charge of everything. I think he, there will be a GM in place, and I think Vrabel will be uh, over that GM or or holding the the final veto. and And I think that's a fine setup, and I think that may be the best setup for them. So um, I, I I think that's a good way to go. And I don't know. It's it's an exciting move in a way, it, it, and it is sad. I will echo what you said as far as, like, there's no doubt John Robinson cared a lot about this franchise, um, really wanted to do a good job, and did a, a good job for a lot of his tenure here. Um, and I, you know, obviously wish him nothing but the best moving forward. But um, hopefully they find someone better and and stop drafting Isaiah Wilsons and uh, Caleb Farley's.
0: Stephen Holder on Twitter writes, uh, famous Colts uh, sucker offer, the timing of this John Robinson firing doesn't make sense. I'm skeptical. I don't know if he's skeptical that he thinks the firing is fake and it's a WWE plot line or there's a M Night Shyamalan twist hanging around the corner or if he's just skeptical that there's maybe more to the story than what we're we're hearing. But, you know, if if instead of writing that tweet, if I'm a Colts beat writer, I should be writing you can see that John Robinson is not settled, for, or the Titans don't settle for mediocrity and have fired their GM that's better than our GM. But, you know, Chris Ballard's still employed.
1: Absolutely. That will and do it. Yeah, it's a gold in it. One, okay, one, one last word. We always got to thank John Robinson for bringing us Mike Vrabel because yes. he did that. And ultimately, that sets the Titans up. And, that, we'll and really Amy,
0: Adam Strunk, John, Amy Adam Strunk got John Robinson. Amy that's Adam right. Strunk and John Robinson got Mike Vrabel. Now it's time for Amy Adam Strunk and Mike. Mike Vrabel to take us into the next era of Titans football. Cause that's technically what this is going to kind of be is the new era of Titans football. Cause we have no clue what's going to happen. Absolutely. For Mike Herndon, you can follow him on Twitter at Mike Herndon NFL. And you can listen to this podcast in podcast form to, if you're just caught the tail end or missed a few of it, it'll be on shortly after this. And it'll also be the full video will be on YouTube. You can follow him on Twitter at NFL. On Wednesday, he will have his uh, rewritten times five. I'm assuming I'm assuming you've gone through five drafts now from between Sunday and here for PaulKarski.com, your article. Uh, especially with the students of John Robson probably having to pivot everything. Uh, you also have the Mike Curtin Show on Thursday for Broadway Insiders. You can make sure to check that out. That's for Broadway Insiders only. If you don't have an insider pass, go to BroadwaySportsMedia.com. There will also be the Music City Audible is out today. The Music City Audible is also going to be out on Thursday as well. That's Justin and Justin presented by Pharmacy. We're presented by Jaspers. You need to head down there for two for one on Sundays. Watch the Titans beat the shit out of the Jacksonville Jaguars in Titans fashion. Like They're going to beat them like 19 to 10. It's going to be very unsexy, but it's going to be, it's going to be great. So go to Jaspers. Watch that. They have a good brunch menu TVs everywhere. It's awesome. I encourage you to go. I will also be on football or a football show on Thursday, 1 p.m. Central Standard Time with Brayden Gall. We'll, we'll have to dive th- into this a little bit more, and we'll also be talking Jaguars. We'll also be talking um, a little bit of college football talk. That's 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, and follow at 440 Sports and on notifications. For Mike Curndon. my name is Zach Lyons. Follow me on Twitter at FWordSpot. This has been Football Another FWords. And you have just been effed. Live!